You know, things aren't uh, always as they appear. For instance, uh, about a week ago, I was having a conversation with one of our uh, high school guys, and he kind of looked at me and asked me a question out of nowhere in the middle of the conversation with kind of a grin on his face. He said, uh, so how much time do you spend playing uh, video games? And I kind of uh, looked dumbfounded, looked back at him, and I, I really didn't know what he was talking about. I said, well, I don't really play a whole lot of video games. And he said, well, uh, you've been playing bike race with me a lot uh, on Facebook. And I thought, well, that's, that's, that's news, news to me. I don't, I don't really know what you're talking about. And then it clicked with me. Uh, a few months ago, uh, my 10-year-old son, Reed, wanted to play a game on Facebook, so I logged him into my account. And so I did, I've discovered that he's been playing bike race with a lot of the high school guys, poking them and bothering them and playing video games with him. So uh, things aren't always as they appear. It should, I should say that Reed has been winning more than his fair share of the games. So <laughs> Things aren't always as they appear. And we need to keep that in mind as, as believers uh, because often in our situation, and we hear and we're focusing to, uh, the next couple of weeks on how to share our faith, often we look out at the friends, the coworkers, the neighbors, the classmates, or whoever, um, who we are concerned about. We're not sure where they stand spiritually. And, and we look at them and we think they're not really interested in the things of God. And we look at them and we think, you know, they don't really see a need or have a need for God. But we need to remember things aren't always as they appear. Uh, scripture tells us that God is always at work in the lives of people. God is always planting seeds. He's always working through circumstances, bringing people into their lives, always reaching out to them, always hearing the prayers of his people. Jesus, in the passage that was read just a minute ago by Dan out of Luke chapter 10, talks about um, where, where it says, God, uh, it says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. It doesn't say that the seeds have been planted and we need to water and do this. It says the harvest is plentiful. In other words, there are people out there who are ready to hear, are ready to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. But we need the workers to go and to represent me and to proclaim my message. This morning we're uh, continuing our sermon series we started last week called 72. And if you weren't with us, just a real kind of brief recap, we're we're looking at uh, this passage from Luke where it talks about the 72 disciples that Jesus sent out on his behalf to go and proclaim the kingdom. And we're looking at the, the, the principles that Jesus taught them and how we can apply them in our own lives as we hear God's call to go and to represent him in this world. Now, I'm going to encourage you, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles again, if you're not still there, to Luke chapter 10. And we'll be uh, focusing primarily uh, in this chapter this morning. Now, whenever we look at a passage of Scripture, it's always important to kind of look and see what comes before and what comes after. And what comes before this passage, in Luke 9, we see that Jesus is drawing his three-year ministry on earth to a conclusion. And in verse 9, or excuse, excuse me, verse 51 of chapter 9, we hear this. As a time approached for him to be taken up to heaven... Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So the, so the context of, of Jesus' words and instructions to the 72 in chapter 10 is, is that he's on his final journey. He is, uh, his mission in Galilee, his mission in Samaria has been completed. 
And now Jerusalem and the cross and, and the grave await him. But there are still many places that he has not yet visited. And so he chooses 72 of his followers to go to them. And he asks them to go and prepare the way for him to prepare people to hear his message. And then Jesus gives them some, some instructions. Now, these instructions at first glance are kind of odd. Uh, many of these things with, uh, that Jesus instructs them to do and to be about as they go out are something that we would probably not do today. Uh, for instance, when we send people out on the mission field, we don't send them without money. Um, hopefully we don't. Uh, we don't send workers out without shoes. We don't tell them that when they're traveling not to stop and talk with people, and they usually have a place to stay when they get there. But though some of these instructions from Jesus to his 72 disciples seem kind of strange or maybe even irrelevant, Jesus' principles here are timeless, and I, I encourage us to look beyond them to find his point for us today. So Luke chapter 10. And as we pull out of it, we're going to find six elements or six marching orders, six principles which are necessary for us as individuals and necessary for us as a church if we want to be about what Jesus Christ was about when he walked this earth. Take a look at verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So again, as we said earlier, Jesus is nearing the end of his ministry. He's headed to the cross. Uh, and he's, it's, it's interesting to note that when you look at Scripture, he spent most of his time preaching and serving in areas that weren't Jerusalem. He spent most of his time in Galilee and Samaria with just a small portion of his time on earth in Jerusalem. And so the 72 are being sent out, as I said, to kind of go to the places that he has not yet gone to prepare the way for him. One way to think about these 72 um, is that they were sort of town criers. You know, the old town criers that would go ahead and go ahead in, in the villages and they would yell out uh, somebody was coming or, or yell out some, uh, some, some important news. Well, the 72 are sort of town criers that Jesus sends out, sent ahead to, to proclaim that the Messiah was among them and that his kingdom was at hand. And, and that's a great responsibility that 72 had. It's also a great responsibility, uh, privilege. And we see that how people responded to them had great consequences. Look at verse 16, where Jesus says this, He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. In other words, Jesus says, if they reject you, they're rejecting me, and in turn, they're rejecting God the Father. So the response of the people in these towns to the 72 would, in a sense, determine their standing in relationship with God, their eternity, which is a, a frightening, sobering thought that the 72 uh, the way they represented themselves and the way people responded had eternal consequences. You know, I think there's a lesson in that today we can, we can apply for ourselves. You know, people often criticize the church, Big C. Uh, the church is the butt of, of many jokes in the media uh, and, and, and around, around uh, our culture. And people will often say, look, it's, it's, it's not Christ that I have a problem with so much. It, it, it's the church. It's, it's, it's Christians. It's it's full of hypocrites. And my response to that would be, yes, that's true. Uh, we, we all are sinners, you and me. We all fall short of God's glory. We all, at different points in our lives and different areas, don't match up with, with the values and priorities of Christ. And we, 
we all struggle at times to practice what we preach. We often fail to represent Christ the way we should. And I'm afraid when that happens, what, ha- what occurs is somebody has a bad experience with us, they have a bad experience with the church, they develop the wrong idea about what it means to follow Jesus Christ, and they end up rejecting the message, which is good news because of the messengers. This can not be. The consequences are too great. Eternity hangs in the balance. Therefore, our purpose must always be to communicate very clearly who Jesus Christ is, what he's done for us, and what he can do for us. That's the mission Jesus gives us 72 in Luke chapter 10. Now, as we move on to the principles about Christ's mission found here, lest you think this doesn't apply to me, I'm not really involved in mission. I'm a a new believer. I'm kind of a neophyte regarding Scripture. I'm not in leadership, etc. Lest you think that the Scripture is very clear that all who claim the, the name of Jesus Christ are called. All are called to be ministers, to build bridges, to proclaim who Christ is. We're all to be ministers for Jesus Christ. And though some of us are called to go to other parts of the world, either long-term or short-term, we have people from our church who have done that, all of us are called to go because the mission field really is right outside our doors. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Did you realize that the U.S. is now counted as one of the biggest mission fields uh, in the world? There are countries that send missionaries to the U.S. today. I I mentioned last week uh, the statistics uh, George Barna, a well-known pollster, put together on, on faith and, and religion in the U.S. And the statistics showing that maybe around uh, 17% or so of Americans are consistently involved in a faith community or church, which means, of course, 83%, which is millions and millions of people who are not connected in a, in a church or faith family. The harvest, Jesus said, is plentiful, and it's true of us in the U.S. today. You know, one of the things I learned growing up on the farm near a small town was that harvest time was no time to go it alone. If the weather was cooperating or the weather wasn't going to cooperate and the harvest was ready, you got it done. And if you needed extra help, you got the extra help. Neighbors would pitch in because it was inefficient and risky. You risked the crop if you went it alone and you didn't ask for help. The same is true Uh, for us spiritually. The same is true of the church. When it's harvest time, we're not to to be lone rangers. We're not to go to alone. Jesus, in this passage, kind of institutes a a buddy system. It says he sends out them two by two. So so the point is that we, we, we need each other for mutual encouragement and support and motivation and accountability for effectiveness in sharing our faith. The church's impact is greater when we do it together. Paul set the example. He traveled with Silas, he traveled with Barnabas, he traveled with Titus and with Timothy. We're designed and commissioned by Christ to go together. You know, I heard of a a missionary who was asked how he kept his, his fervor, his passion for sharing his faith. And he said it was quite simple. He said, I, I stay close to others who are passionate about sharing their faith. I saw the same, I've seen the same thing in my life. When I was in college, my, my freshman year, I was, I was surrounded by a lot of great guys, but who didn't share the same values I did, and yet I was not sharing my faith with them, if, if much at all. And then I got connected with some Christian friends who, who were very intentional 
and very excited about sharing their faith. And I caught fire too and I began to, to share my faith in turn. You know, if, you're, if you don't feel much like sharing your faith, if you're not sure how to jumpstart things, I would encourage you to get in a relationship with somebody who does. And then go. Jesus sent the 72 two by two. The same principle holds true for us today. We're called to serve, to go together and tell others about Christ. The second principle we find here follows closely after the first. There is a great need for workers. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You know, Jesus tells us to pray. You know, think about the numbers for a minute. If Salina is indicative of the national average, and let's say Salina is, is, is higher than the national average, say maybe even 30% uh, involved uh, consistently in a church family or faith community, say 30%, that's 30% of 50,000, 15,000. That still leaves 50,000. Another way to look at it is Salina is home to about 50 churches. Actually, the number is higher than that, but we're going to use 50 because it's easier for the math. And say those 50 churches average 300 in worship, which, is, which as we know, is higher than the average in our community. The math, again, shows 15,000 involved, 35,000 not. And for more in line with national averages, that leaves closer to 40,000. You know, we have a, a great commitment, I believe, as a church to missions outside of Salina. We support... 20-plus missionaries and agencies. We send two or three mission teams out a year, as well as several individuals from our church. We also have a great commitment to local missions. We're involved and support a lot of agencies in town, and we're involved as individuals as a church. But the mission field is even greater. The need is even greater. Jesus says the workers are few. He says, pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will raise up a zeal for sharing our faith and for pointing people who need Jesus, pointing them to the cross and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The next principle regarding mission in Luke 10 is a need for urgency. Jesus calls us to go now, very simply, go. And then in verses 4 through 6, we find some rather interesting instructions we, we alluded to earlier. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Jesus, the point of, of Jesus here is that, is that there is absolutely nothing that should stand in the way of our mission. It's been said that the enemy of the best is the good. Another way of putting that is that, is that good things can get in the way of doing the best things. You know, we, as we can get distracted so easily. I know it's true of myself. Many good things can get in the way of doing the best things. You know, I'm I can be working on a sermon or schoolwork or some project at home or something, and there are many things that can distract me and pull me away. You know, we can sit down to pray, and many things can pull at us and distract us. When God calls us to go and do something or to go somewhere or to be a certain type of person, there are many things that can distract us. But Jesus says, leave those things behind, put them in the proper perspective, and go. The next principle we find in Luke 10 is the need to be sensitive to those around us. 
Listen to verses 7 and 8. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Now, now what's this about? It's simply being gracious, being a good neighbor, being a kind person, building bridges with those around you. And Jesus' point is that anything that will unnecessarily offend people um, is something that should be set aside for the sake of those who don't know Christ. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians, I try to please everyone in every way for the good of many so that they may be saved. And so if we allow petty things, things that really aren't that important to come between us and others, we are failing in our mission of Jesus Christ to go and to build bridges. Next, there's a need for clarity. Jesus calls us to clearly communicate his message. The kingdom of God is near, he says in verse 9. You know, it stands to reason that if we are to be messengers, then we better be crystal clear on what the message is. You know, if somebody asks you as you, um, you know, are around town sometime this afternoon, if they asked you, could you tell me what it means to be a Christian? Uh, can you tell me what this, this gospel thing is about? Who is Jesus and why did he come and why is it should be important to me? Would, would, would you be able to do it clearly, concisely, compellingly? You know, whether it's through the four spiritual laws, or the Romans road, or the bridge diagram, whether it's through your testimony or selected verses, life experience, anyone who follows Jesus Christ must know the message that we are called and privileged to deliver. Next, Jesus calls us to understand the consequences of rejecting him. In other words, he wants us to know the stakes. Verse 12. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Talking about those who have rejected his message. And then no sooner than Jesus says these sobering words in verse 12, he goes into a sort of lament for the villages that have already rejected him. And he lists them off. Woe to you, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, which was his hometown. You can hear Jesus' heart breaking. And he's not angry. He, he's sad because he knows the judgment that awaits those who reject him. And he wants his followers, in this case, the 72, in our case, us, he wants his followers to know what's at stake. Life or death, heaven or hell, judgment or mercy. You know, we will never be truly effective and sufficiently motivated servants of Christ until we understand what's at stake. In our community, thousands. In our country, millions. In our world, billions who do not know Jesus Christ. You see, if we, seek, if we think Christianity is simply one of many philosophical worldviews or lifestyle choices, then the weight of eternity will not rest upon us. And if we see Christianity as just sort of icing on the cake, a, a great thing but not absolutely necessary, then we're missing the point because the Bible makes it very clear. Jesus himself makes it very clear that those who do not know him are lost. And so what our friends and family, what our neighbors, our co-workers, our classmates, what they believe about Jesus Christ 
makes an eternal difference. There's a story about James Hudson Taylor, a well-known missionary from the 19th century who founded the China Inland Mission. Uh, He had just shared the gospel with a young Chinese man, and, and the young man was so excited about what he'd understood and received. And the young man asked Hudson Taylor, quite innocently, how long have you known this truth in your country? And Hudson Taylor was really embarrassed and said, well, several hundred years. And the young man looked at him shocked. Hundreds of years, he said? My father searched all his life for the truth and died just last year without finding it. Why? Why didn't you, why didn't you come sooner? Jesus Christ in Luke 10 has given us his marching orders. He's laid out his mission. We are to pray we, and we are to go. And we are to announce the kingdom is near. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we thank you, God, that um, that when you told Jesus to go, that he went, and because he did, um, we can know forgiveness, we can have assurance of our standing with you, uh, we can have the promise and hope of eternal life. And so we thank you for that, Lord. Father, we pray that we would follow the example of Jesus and that we would follow the example of the 72, that we would, that we would go willingly, that we'd be people of prayer, uh, that we would have compassion for those around us, that we would treat them with respect and care and, and speak your words truthfully and authentically. Lord, we, um, we know that, that in, a, in and of ourselves we are nothing special. We're sinners and we're hypocrites. We're flawed. But yet, Lord, you still call us to go. And so we trust you and we ask you to use us for your glory. And we thank you that you're already at work. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>